Mindful Surfer podcast with myself, Will Foster, and my co-host, Liam Morgan, who has been using my vibrator, which was, um, it was awkward at start because, um, you know, we didn't really know where to look, did we? I mean, I, I showed you how to use it and you didn't know where to look and then you used it <laughs> and I didn't know where to look again. So we sort of, we're like, um, you know, when like dogs mate and they sort oh. of they're not quite sure what's going on so one of them sort of looks to one side and the other one looks to oh, the other it's I like a bit know. embarrassing I do not know what you're talking we had about. that going on so do you want to Liam, tell... talk to me about how you found that that experience before all three listeners decide to uh switch off should we tell them what actually it was i don't know if anybody's seen these things but all over social media for such a long time have been these like essentially the things that look like a drill with a tennis ball attached to the end right and they're supposed to relieve aching muscles or make you a better athlete after a long session at whatever thing you're doing to tire out those said muscles. And as surfers, we get tired muscles, right? So Will brought over this thing that's like a gun with his tennis ball on the end. And I have to say, having seen the hype, it was pretty good. It felt pretty good. So it does vibrate, but it's not for the purposes that you might be suggesting. It did cross my mind. I mean, the first time I used it, and I sh- <laughs> I'm saying this now, so if my client's listening, my client lent me this. I haven't actually got my own one yet. This is his. So I was hovering, hovering around the crotch area oh, as gee, I was going up the groin. <laughs> I sort of, hmm, be quite nice. But I mean, th- that kind of thing doesn't really work for men as much as it does for the ladies. But I have to say, it is very effective. I uh, did it the first night after surfing for three hours that day. Yeah. It was on Wednesday I got it. And... I thought, oh, it's going to be a bit of a gimmick. And I was having a good go, going all around the muscles, all these things. And I was going, wow, this is really interesting. It's, I've done foam rolling. I've done active release technique. I've had sports massage. I've had hot stone therapy, loads of different types of therapy for recovery. And this is really, really unique. I've never felt anything like it. I got up after doing it for maybe half an hour, much to my wife's annoyance, because the TV show we're watching had this in the background. <laughs> She's a patient woman. Yeah. And um, I tell you what, if you were looking in into our living room while I was doing it, this, what is he doing with that contraption? But I, I stood up and I, I genuinely felt recovered. And I haven't had that from anything ever. I will say that. And we are not selling a brand. We're not sponsored by, We're sponsored by this anybody. vibrating gun. We're not sponsored by anybody. And it's because of the sort of shit you're talking exactly. about at the beginning of this I'm, show. I'm, I'm the sponsor, you know, stench. I'm <laughs> They're all sat around like, yeah. hey. There's a great show on iTunes called The Mindful Surfer. It's about surfing and mindfulness. Wow, that's the thing right now. Everybody wants to be mindful and surf, apparently. Let's have a listen. Welcome to the Vibrate. It's like the... What's that? Shopping channel? QVC? QVC. As soon as Billabong heard me mention pubic hair. No, no, guys. No, we're not going there. No. Just one one of them's way too out there. Yeah. I mean, in this woke world, it's one of the few, last few things you can talk about is pubic hair. We discussed this before. Geez, you don't want to get, go down that gender road. I mean, goodness me. Definitely not. But certainly the vibrating toy for massaging your muscles, I really recommend. You don't have to go down the thorough gun road. The theragun. Thera. Thera? Theragun. Theragun. Once advertised by, uh, <laughs> I say once, many times advertised by Ronaldo the famous soccer player. Yeah, that's why it's about £400,000 to buy. It is. That one is expensive. This one was 40, 50 quid. Yeah, There's but- loads of Amazon knockoffs that you can get now. And um, by all accounts, I mean, we've been using one. Wow, great bit of kit. I think the thing with surfing, and we discussed this before, that the biomechanics and the biology that takes place around recovery for surfing is this. You have sports like surfing, swimming, cycling, and rowing is in that category as well, where you have concentric muscle contraction. You're not dealing with eccentric load. You're not dealing with the kind of load that takes place when you run or you lift weights because you're, you're under gravity in those activities. Now, there's a little bit in surfing because you've got to suspend your weight on the ball when you're standing up. But what you're mostly doing is paddling, 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 paddling. So that's why we can surf, generally speaking, day after day without huge issues in recovery. But what really needs recovering from surfs, therefore, is the legs. Because it's the legs that squat and drive and lunge and squat and drive and lunge and twist and push and bend and straighten and bend and straighten. 
So your quads, calves, hamstrings, glutes take a real hammering from surfing. So if you can get those to recover quicker with any means possible, whether it be nutritional or massage related, it is going to be a little, a really good little hack. And I'll tell you the other thing as well, just on those bits that you sometimes forget, get a bit of a hammering. And by the way, this is once you're surfing, because I always know now I've had a good surf if my legs are giving me a bit of jip afterwards, because arm paddling and that sort of thing is only one part of it, isn't it? And you know you're surfing when your legs are tired afterwards. But it's feet as well. The sort of, what's it called? The plantar fascia or whatever that's it. it is. That's it. And the sort of grip and the, sometimes they're sort of trying to stay on that board can create tightness in the bottom of your, the soles of your feet. That's what I find anyway. I get that load. And we did have a little surf last night, didn't we? A cheeky little surf, which was yeah. a, lot of, a lot of that. You know, it was like being at the Bristol Wave for a, for a session. It was brilliant. Those are the best sessions. The ones where the forecast has no hype on it. The weather's a bit junky. You sort of hover down there. Is there any surf? Yeah, there is. It sort of didn't look on and then suddenly was on. And when you, you got that right in the corner and uh, what great little sesh. Those ones are, are really, really fun. The unexpected, spontaneous sessions, they are the best ones. And you want to be able to go, I want that again. Can we have that again? And you go, nah, you can't because there'll be a swell coming and it will be predicted and it'll be looking bigger and better and yada, yada. And there'll be a bit of hype around it and there'll be more people in. And But even in those ones, you then just got to embrace what that's all about, which is that you've now got more people. Yeah. We discussed this before that, you know, when you've got that going on, you've then got not just different people, but different people surfing on different types of equipment. And nobody in that ocean has the right to more waves. It's not how it works. You know, we're all there to hopefully share the ocean mindfully. It just feels like, and we've said this before, and this by no means whatsoever is a gripe on stand-up paddling. I have stand-up paddled for years. I did a period in my life of... I did a surfing sabbatical of about four years where I think if I look back in time, the reason why I did it was because my fitness wasn't great. I was definitely a few pounds heavier than I am now. Body fat, not muscle for sure. I was not surfing as often, all these things. And it became a really nice thing that I could do. And I could guarantee a lot of waves. And it was good fun. And where I did it was on a really famous long, long beach where we live in Devon called Saunton. And if you are listening to this and you're a stand-up paddler, and you've got your beach you go to that's a huge long beach. It is heavenly. Like, you feel like you're in a wilderness. You can just go as far down as you want, pick any peak you like. And stand-up paddlers are welcome to listen to the show, will you? 100%. 100. I'm, I'm one of them. I'm a, I'm a supper. It's a fun thing to do. What we have in our bay that makes it challenging is that we have more peaks. It's a tighter bay. It's tricky. And you don't always see what, what for me, is the best etiquette. You see a lot of snaking. You see people get a wave straight back to the peak, another one, another one, etc. Go for every set wave going. And this is a complete observation that there's a massive greediness going on there, okay? Now, the reason why I can empathize with it is because I was that stand-up paddler. When you see a set wave, you'd love to say that you can stay all mindful and spiritual and, oh, I'll share the waves. Fuck that. That's a crock of shit. When humans have waves coming to them, it's so exciting, your excitement spills into mindlessness. That, that, that happens to everyone, myself included, every single time we go surfing. The waves are so exciting, it takes a lot to remain really mindful of the situation, especially when you're on a board that can get you twice, three, four times as many waves, and you can sit way further out on all these things. So I totally get it. I massively, massively get why stand-up paddlers get the waves they do and go for every set wave, because, geez, I would. It's just that what I've got to do in my personal experience, having surfed the other day with them out there, is stay calm. That's the ultimate message with this. And it doesn't, in fact, fuck the stand-up thing. It doesn't matter who it is. It could be competitive locals. It could be groms. It could be people on boogie boards, people body surfing. It doesn't matter what it is. When we're dealing with crowds, we need tactics and drills and hacks to stay calm. And for me personally, when a certain number of stand-up paddlers come out, it's time for me to get out. That's just the way I am. I'd rather not sit inside and just keep not getting waves. I'd rather actually just either go in and have a stretch and just relax or walk down to another part of the beach and get away from somewhere else. Even if it means that I come off my smaller board that I was trying to do turns on and just go on like a longboard or a foamy like, and just seek another way. Because listen, as Einstein once said, the true definition of insanity is doing the same things, expecting a different result. So we've got to eventually, if you're ever getting frustrated by anybody, shortboarders, longboarders, stand-up paddlers, swimmers, whatever it might be, eventually there's got something it's got to give. Yeah. And often the problem is within yourself, isn't it? So totally. it's your view of the situation that's creating the issue in the first place. And that's the kind of mindful position to come at it from, is to say, because I get there, I see them, you know me. I mean, I'm like, oh, oh no, 
suppers in the lineup, and this is now going to be a little bit more challenging because it changes the dynamics of how and who gets waves. And there is a little bit probably in the surfer that sort of sees the there's an unfairness element to it because to get surf fit, to get to a point where you're catching waves and you're kind of taking turns sometimes in, on those waves, that is blown apart by the fact that somebody's out there on a massive board with a actual with a paddle and are able to see, spot and catch waves way before it's even possible for anybody on a surfboard, even a longboard to catch those waves. So there's an element there that exists. And then the other thing you and I were talking about the other day with regards to that judgment, because we put something out on social, a Ramdas quote about judgment, is that we judge the people that we see in order to sort of project some of our, or even to feel more superior. That's why 100%. That's why we, 100%. That's why surf, surfing in particular, we have this kind of idea of kooks. And what is a kook? It's an interpretation. But really, when you call someone a kook, it's a way of making yourself feel good about your level of surfing and your inside knowledge of that sport versus somebody who might not. And sometimes the etiquette thing is interesting because with suppers sometimes as well, I wonder whether or not, because it's a fairly easy, accessible thing, there's a lot more people doing it. And because they've often not surfed, certainly some of the um, stand-up paddlers that we've kind of been around, apart from the guys that we, you know, there's some guys we know who surf really oh, well. Oh, there's some and they, that and are they, really, really, some, really good. And they're incredibly mindful of other people in the lineup. But where you see people really flouting the rules or supping dangerously, which is the other thing, because it's this kind of safety zone infringement, they maybe just do not know that that pisses people off or that that is a uh, situation that is not welcome by surfers, you know. And and if you do, then that starts to become, you know, are they aware of it? Are they conscious of it? Do they care? And sort of mindful approach to it is that there are enough waves to go around. But if you get into a harmony, you know, you can have people like that in the lineup, as we know, because we've got some good suppers in and around our break. But it's about, does the person who's doing these things that's really triggering, it's the trigger thing again, isn't it? Do they know that that's, triggering me what's the responsibility should i speak up and often that's the thing isn't it you either take an action as you say get out and go somewhere else or you have a balanced calm grounded conversation if you can with that person to explain what's happening and why it's getting on your tits well said and it's so humbling that we know we are the ones with the issue no one else has an issue they're doing stuff now obviously we'd love them to be able to listen to a show like this or you know read about surf etiquette and dive into surf culture more and learn and be a real constant learner in that way and wanting to really share and be involved in a community feeling of it all. We'd love that, but that's probably a bit unrealistic as well. The only thing we can control is us. And I know it's me that has the issue. I am 100% the one that has the problem if there is ever is ever a problem because when things are such and I have an issue with the suchness of it, who has the issue? Mm. It's me. We do have to make a change ourselves, and it's either an internal one or an external one, and doing probably both is not a bad idea. It's just very, very hard to do, and I will be the very first to admit that my frustrations linger longer than I would normally like them to, and I hope that in 10 years they'll do that less, and then in 20 they'll do it even less. But along that path, be kind to myself, not if, but when I get pissed off, because inevitably, we talk about this mindfulness journey of being surfers in that way, of staying calm, but... The whole point in mindfulness in the journey is allowing yourself, not necessarily even allowing yourself, because of course you wouldn't really want it to happen if you could control it, but it's when it has happened because it's so reactive, then being able to deal with it mindfully. Totally do. Be able to go, look, this is how I'm reacting. My God, I'm triggered right now. I need to start breathing. I need to start moving away. And know that you're going to get pissed off. It's the awareness of it, isn't it? Because anybody that tells you that they are the uber mindful surfer or whatever, or the perfect human being is not being true to themselves and is not awake to themselves. We are flawed, aren't we, as these kind of flesh and blood creatures. So perfection is a sort of concept rather than a reality. And it's your interpretation of perfection to one person is absolute, complete flaws to another. You have to be aware as we have that negativity bias as well, don't we? We sort of lean sometimes, even the most kind of sunshine sort of drenched people can tip into a negativity bias if that's the groupthink as well. So the surface, if the groupthink is all this kook's doing that and that's you tip into that negativity bias and the negativity bias, all it does is impact your own well-being on a cellular level negatively. So if you can sort of be aware of that and try and realise that you are the negativity in that situation the situation is the situation you place the judgment on that situation based on your own sense of what you expect should or shouldn't happen you're making yourself triggered miserable or whatever 
And when you're not aware of that, that manifests in like anger and resentment and all of those kind of, you know, very deep seated negative emotions. But if you're aware of it, you can sort of occasionally, well, often it's easier to bring yourself out of it. doesn't mean you don't have those thoughts. doesn't mean you don't get triggered, but it just allows you to say, ah, okay, I can try and live that mantra of being the change you want to see in the world. And instead of just sitting around moaning about things, take the action to be the change that you want to see. Damn straight. And I remember you saying once that you're someone who helps you with your back was saying, do you have like a technique you have to ground yourself either before or after a serve? True. And um, I think that was really, really insightful because we discussed this before on the show that the stoke you take into the ocean is the stoke you receive. If you don't take stoke in, you can't expect to take out. It's a bit like going to pay for food with nothing in your bank account. You can't get the food. You've got to put some money in the account first and then then you get to take it out when you're there and you get the food. Now, it's interesting because you sort of have this thing where, oh, no, you know, surfing is a, a mental health tool. And I agree. We're all human. We might be feeling a bit busy, a bit stressed. But if we rely on it too heavily, we are probably not going to get the waves. We're probably going to bump into the wrong people. We're going to get frustrated. We're going to get annoyed. And because we're unconscious and in an unconscious state, because the state you're in dictates all of how you react to these things, you're going to start blaming them, blaming them, blaming this, blaming the wind, blaming the waves, the board, it's wrong. It's this. Whereas actually, of course, it's, it's us. It takes a very mindful character to be able to know that the energy and mindset they take into the ocean plays a huge role in how the ocean ends up being for them. And let's not over rely on, oh God, I really need a surf. I could, geez, I could really do with a surf. Because that mentality, it's like, you know, the analogy I use. I use this in relationship coaching and conversation in the sense that if you lean on a fence and you lean on it a couple of times, it's no big deal. You lean on the fence, no mm. big deal. You lean on it enough and eventually the fence topples over. And that's kind of how it works in surfing. It's just, it's, let's lean on it a little bit. We all need surf therapy. I mean, Jesus, I'd be the first to admit that. It's just if we go a little too hard on it, yeah. it can backfire. We end up with just as many problems in the ocean as the ones we bought into from the land. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think this is something I'm sort of experimenting with is this idea that whether you expect something to give you joy or whether you put joy into something. And the more you put joy into that activity, whatever it is, the more it rebounds. But if you just expect that that activity will, in its own right, bring you that joy, it's a very heavy burden to put on anything. Beautiful, dude. On that last point, that means yeah. that when we've got the vibrating massage tool, okay? <laughs> You're going to put some joy into it. Put some joy into crap. it. Put, slip it around your genitals a little bit. Oh, and, and then and then go back to the muscles, then back to the genitals. And you will get the joy um, in return. Now, if anybody can hear a little bit of background noise talking about mindful, we're back in the studio. We're back in the studio. Just to make sure that we get the sound right now and again, because we've got our own kit now. But there's a yoga class happening. Big yoga class, and lots I think of people. As people are coming out of this yoga class, they're obviously very excited because they're full of the joys of yoga. There you go. They put joy into their they- yoga. <laughs> so if you can hear. We hope that they you, put joy yeah, if you, into their yoga. Rather than going, bloody hate yoga. What am I doing in this studio? <laughs> fucking hate <laughs> yoga. It fucking hurts. It just hurts. That's a shite. Well, there will be people moaning about <laughs> yoga, maybe the negativity bias, but still doing it. There's a definition of it. This is something we do as well, isn't it? There's a sort of tendency for some people, and I've been there probably, to keep doing something, but also to moan about it. Yeah. Uh, oh, I don't, like, I don't like doing that. I don't like doing... don't know I'm hamming up my Yorkshire accent with this. And really, it's a choice often Yeah. with the things that are being done, whether it's relationship, work, whatever you might be doing. There's a tendency to keep doing something, but also keep moaning about it. And I don't know if an experiment so, is so. to say, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to now put some, try and put as mm. much joy into this situation as is possible and see what happens just as an experiment. It's way easier to create a shield of, uh, 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 yeah. isn't it shit? Yeah. Than truly drop a shield and show the world the joy that you actually have for stuff. Yeah. Because it's a vulnerable act. It's saying, this is who I really am. It's a much easier thing to take the piss out of. Yeah. The shield of the male ego, particularly male egos, yeah. females to some degree, but males much more, where, oh, 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 you know, oh, isn't it shit? Isn't it shit? Is a much more protective mechanism. It's designed to protect the male ego from being seen as silly and playful and childish and whatever. It's the exact opposite. There could be nothing less protective to you and your development than putting on that shield. So it does, everything works in in opposites and everything's a a paradox. And on that front, I must mention and say, 
I was in a yoga class about 11 years ago, to be precise. And we're all doing downward dogs and then just in the corner of the classroom. Lovely little bottom burp. And the instructor, I mean, I was already starting to giggle and my arms were on the floor and I was starting to shake and I was next to a friend and we started really giggling. And then um, the instructor just goes, no, it's, it's perfectly natural. That did not help. We were just gone from that point in. And it also then gets me thinking, you know, you've got terrible farts, right? When you fart in your four three and you get a good waft up your suit. Now, listen, in particular, if you've got a chest sip, if you have a nice tight O'Neill 4-3 fuse chest sip and you get wafts of, of fart juices, you know you need to uh, go on a little gut fix of some uh, kind. I, I don't um, know how that happens. Yeah, I've had that a couple of times. Oh. Yeah. But also you sort of almost want to... <laughs> your face. You also want to... You know everyone loves the smell of their own farts. You want to almost also slightly poof your, your wetsuit, like up and down, just to kind of get that little smell underneath. I'm, I'm just going to cross off O'Neill as potential <laughs> sponsors. Sorry. <laughs> O'Neill. Ooh, we lost O'Neill. Lost. We were on the brink of O'Neill and Lost and I mean, that's, Billabong. And- <laughs> that's why our show should be sponsored by Lost, because we've lost a we've lot lost of sponsors. A, lost a lot of sponsors. 100%. Like, oh, we're just about to send them suits. And then, well, actually, they should put that in their advertising. It's fartproof. Yeah. Because the O'Neill seams are so liquid and so tight, you could fart as much as what you could take a shit in there and you wouldn't even smell it. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds right. me of my brother. Toby, I know you're listening because you're a fan of the show, which I love. And you're listening to this. Toby, I love you for this. You took a dump in your wetsuit because the waves were too good to go in and take a dump in the toilet. So that for me, oh, no, that no. for me is the true mark of, are you a real server? That should be like the sort of ritual you've got to go through. Like if you want to go to come and surf our break with the locals, are you willing that when it's really pumping to just stay in the ocean and dump in your suit? Now, if you are willing to take that on, we will accept you into this lineup. I don't know. Just don't it's... be a stand-up paddler and do it in front of me. You Fosters have got the sort of very incomplete control of your <laughs> sort of Completely. digestive and bowel system. But anyway. Wee-wees and poo-poos we do very well. Hey, hope you're enjoying the show. If you connect with what we do here at The Mindful Surfer, why not share it with your friends? Or go on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Because the more ratings we have, the more likely it is Liam and I can come back week after week and keep building this community of mindful surfers. Now, let's get back to the show. Second number two, a bit of mindfulness, just to engage the breath. So take a breath in through your nose. And then breathe out. And breathe in. And breathe out. And take a breath in. And breathe out. Two more breaths. Take a breath in. And breathe out. And then just go for one more breath. I want you to hold this last breath. Take a breath in. Just hold your breath for a moment. And then breathe out slowly. One thing you learn with real authenticity and depth and knowledge from practicing mindfulness is just how quickly the mind becomes unaware of itself all the time. And you could... Practice a mindfulness meditation, which is where you sit and you keep your focus, whatever that is, because we can't even describe what focus is, but we know when we are and when we aren't. It's an amazing world, the mind. It's invisible. You can't really describe it, but only you know when you are focused and when you aren't. It's a bizarre thing, but it's, it's true. When you're really focused, truly, you can notice the air going in and you can notice the air going out. And that focus fires up parts of your brain that trigger calming hormones. That's why mindfulness is so famous right now and will continue to grow. The amount of research that's taking place in the field of mindfulness now is apparently a hundredfold from five years ago I was reading. But I also think it's probably because it's needed. A hundred percent. In this distraction economy in which Mm. we live. And the distractions that will competing to take you out of the here and now are more than we've ever been in. So, you know, news always on social media, whatever it is, is about disconnecting you from your breath, isn't it? And in fact, 
triggering of all of the fear or anxiety responses that come from that situation of not being aware of your breath. It's the only antidote sometimes, other than switching the whole thing off in the first place, to just getting back and recentering and grounding yourself and saying, no, I'm just, I'm just here. I'm not there. Because that thing is a transporter of mind away from wherever you're sitting. So even if you're sitting in a position of safety, calm, serenity, and I'm saying this is somebody who does this, as soon as you're in a phone or a, online or doing something that's sort of distracting you, you're taken to somewhere completely different where you're not even there. It's crazy. It's absolutely bonkers. So to come back to that place of, no, I'm, I'm here and I'm breathing and this is the grounded place of which I am actually sitting is a magical thing. Whether you're in the ocean, as you say, or whether you're at work or in a social scenario or on your own doom scrolling, is to bring yourself back is really important. So true. And you sort of, I suppose you have two parts to your mind, the authentic self, which is still present. And then you have this ego, which is rattling on and on and obsessed with more and who's done what and how do people perceive me and blah, blah, blah. Who, who agrees? With- who agrees with my opinion and all these things. And I think it's, um, it's so important as surfers, humans, but we relate it to surfers because of the show. But when you're scrolling the internet in particular, that we remain mindful. And what I mean by that is, this related to something like surfboards. Now, we've discussed many times that despite how wonderful Rob Machado's boards look, they're not going to make you surf like Rob Machado. We all do this. And if I said here now that I wasn't unconsciously pulled in by surf marketing, then I'd be lying. Because my recent purchase of a, a Channel Islands board yeah. was a Channel Islands board. And it wasn't a locals board. It was a Channel Islands board because I wanted that board. I wanted the spine tech because it's got this um, flex. It's because you come and watched at my house. Correct. Noel Salas and Dane Godowskis. Correct. And I saw those two lads and went, oh, yeah, no, I can do that. No, no. <laughs> What's amazing is you consciously go, oh, yeah, sure. No, I, I haven't bought the book because I was influenced by those guys. Bullshit. Unconsciously, that's why we have an unconscious. That's why we have a subconscious. You don't know how it's being affected, except it will be affected. And that can be a cool thing, too. It gets you over the hump. It gets you doing things. It gets you making purchases as a surfer because it's a bit of fun. But if it starts to spill into this order and chaos debate, which we've talked about before, whereas if someone's buying the latest VW van because it's a VW or they're buying the latest Slater board because it's a Slater board or because they're entirely driven by their ego unconscious. Now we've got a bit of an issue, only if it's an issue to the person it's affecting. Now, it might be that they've spent too much money or there might be that they've now got to pay off this 50 grand van, maybe that they actually didn't envisage wanting to have to pay off for eight years or whatever, just because it looked cool. It's amazing how with surfers in particular, their ego is playing a huge role because what we're trying to project is that I'm good, that I can rip, I do this lifestyle, I'm cool, and look at me, dot, dot, dot. You see it all over the world, no matter what surf culture you're involved in, the ego is present. I mean, when I'm in Hawaii, if you don't turn up in a hundred grand alloy to the fucking hills mega truck you know the trucks in america yeah. they have these um the hymers the yeah. what are they called um hummer hummer, oh, hummer yeah. and gmc yeah, yeah. G- and these huge bonnets and they weigh like jesus like 15 tons and they just if you haven't got that with the boys in the back then you're not really you're no. not somebody you can see this in all sports all cultures but in surfing it's what we relate it to and i think what it is is it's never to judge ever that someone makes a purchase in that way like that because we all do it we all get convinced by surf marketing It's just keeping as much as we can, a little handle of, I know it's not going to make me surf like Machado. So what is the guy on the phone really trying to tell me? Because you've got surf shop owners sort of trying to give us a bit of advice, you know, maybe go for this many liters, maybe go for this board. And, but they don't know how you surf and how you surf could be so, so different. And this is a big pill for people to swallow, but so different from how you actually surf. But ultimately, it's like the nub of it, as we're trying to position, is it, it's how it feels. Like I say, we are humans when we go through this thing. Surfing's great because it is cool and it's, it's something that brings great joy or you put a lot of joy into that thing as well. But it's not to be identified. That's a work on for all of us. You don't belong just because you have the certain, like you say, the van, the car, the wetsuit, the whatever it is. And there's an element that we put judgment on people because it's very tribal in that respect around those things you know you can see it coops you know well this guy's surfing a wave storm i know that they do a lot in the u.s and if you're getting a lot of joy out of it do what you want we're sort of for a sort of free-spirited community supposedly 
we don't have to wear labels, <laughs> metaphorically and, and literally, pretty heavily and with lots of ego in it. But it's all about whether you're having a great time and enjoying the waves that the ocean throws at you. Big time. And it's why that thirst for the flow experience is so there all of yep. the time, because it takes you away from the bullshit, away from the nonsense, the egos, the unconsciousness, yep. into what matters. You're standing on your board, you're ripping, you're doing yep. your thing, you're sliding, you're gliding. No matter how it looks, doesn't fucking matter. You're just having a great time and you're in your pocket of purity, should yep. we call it, because it is pure when you're just doing it. But then there's all that bit in between. And listen, I think in some ways... There's a lighter side as well yeah, to the ego, of course. which is to say that actually it is fun to see how funny we all are like that, you know, buying the balls we buy and, and being able to poke fun at ourselves as well in that sense. C- completely. That we, get, we get lured in. We do. Yeah. I think as soon as you remove humour from anything, humour is the th- rawest truth there is. Genuine, you know, nonsense, whatever your view of censorship is, but just being able to speak from the heart without malice or incitement to do other people harm. But to let laughter be the sort of truth, if you like, is a magical thing. So it's important, I think, personally in life, trying to be a mindful practitioner, to not wear anything so seriously that it becomes a heavy cloak. Don't wear a heavy cloak don't, of woke. Don't wear a heavy cloak of woke. And I'm nude ju- underneath yeah. with a trim pair of... Yeah. Pair? Who, how could you have a pair of pubes? Although maybe a pair of balls. But don't go heavy in your cloak, nude underneath, with a nice trim set of pubes. Yeah spouting that it should be heavy yeah but just keep it light keep it light and you know life as we've often touched on this show and it is it's going to be serious life is too serious to take it seriously and so the one release for us as humans it's an emotion isn't it? that laughter that raw release and how good because of again of its scarcity do those moments when you are crying with laughter how good does that feel on an emotional literally to release as in as the same as crying isn't it to cry with laughter and joy is a purge of deep, deep well of emotion, whatever that might look like. So it's making sure that we we have that at front and centre of what our lives should be as Big best time. we can. I observed something in really progressing surface, progressing, I say that because they're constantly on a path that seems to be getting better all the time, that they laugh a lot when they wipe out. Yeah. If you have a bad one, yeah. not like a fall off away, but like a real upside down over the handlebars round and round if someone's seen it and other people have seen it, there's just a collective laughter and as long as they're all right obviously it's like ah you've broken your neck but no it's, it's as long as it's okay yes it actually immediately heals the situation you got smashed everyone gets smashed you at least went for it it was really steep you got your body all in the wrong place you didn't do the right thing and because you can laugh at it it keeps it light and then you can learn from it much quicker yeah get back out hasn't affected you that much get on with the next wave and I see other surfers who don't do that and they wipe out and they slap the water and they get pissed. And then their session just sort of dive bombs from there. It sort of starts to go downhill. So laughter really is far reaching. It, it, it does. And I think that's where it becomes a bit back into that metaphor for life as well, dude, with surfing. And there's a great parallel in that for me is where you say it's a true challenge to your ego. It's a true awakening to be able to laugh at yourself heartedly and allow others to poke fun, you know. It's to not take offence when somebody's laughing at you, but they're laughing with you, you know, it's a with you thing. And you can laugh at yourself, actually. To have a humorous view of yourself sometimes is a freedom to then try things that would otherwise you'd be hiding behind a wall of, oh, what if people think I'm doing that? What if they're levelling their judgment at me? Well, if you can laugh at yourself, you don't care. You know, and with surfing, that's exactly that. I think sometimes people are literally frightened to try the things that they want to try if they're stuck in an ego position or their ego won't allow them to feel that they're even being laughed at. They're not actually being laughed at. It's inside them or it's, I've been there myself where you think, I don't want to try that. Why? Because I don't want other people to laugh at me. Mm. Well, what's mm. the worst that can happen? Let them laugh at you. Laughter's good. Laugh with them. So true. If you can laugh at yourself, my God, you, you are laughing. Yeah, literally. Moving on. Sick number three, mind, body, stoke. Things Liam and I have been working on the mind and the body to raise the stoke. Apart from... Being addicted to my vibrator, I have been really mindful lately, been trying to be mindful lately of accepting that when the ways are good, whatever that is, when the ways are clean, shall we say, that's a purer label. When the ways are clean and of a certain size that I can do maneuvers that make me go, wow, wow, I'm doing that now. And that's like this. And, and then another surf a day later, this is last week, it was a bit messier. And I was trying to do the same things and it wasn't working. 
And I wasn't able to look at it objectively at the time. I wasn't dealing with it well because I just, oh, and I kept staying in. I've got this habit of staying in a little bit longer and a little bit longer to just try and finish on a high. And it still didn't finish on a high and I accepted it. And my body maybe was a little bit tighter too, who knows? I mean, there's so much that goes into a surf, isn't there? Like, you know, your recovery, what was your sleep the previous night? How's your mood that day? What's your hydration levels? What have you been eating? What's the waves like? What board do you want? I mean, fucking, we tried new fins. I mean, the nuances in surfing is what draws us into it. Why we love it. Because it's so spontaneous and so unique every time. And I was, I was like, fuck, cannot surf today. But it's being able to kind of just accept and swallow the humble pie and just like, right, sure, walk in. And it wasn't even really a bad surf. And I still had a good time. But we go through a sort of, a series of waves in our surf progression. And as long as you feel that overall, if you drew a line through the graph of your 10-year journey, your 20-year, whatever, how many years you want to do and are doing and have done, if you generally are able to draw a line through it and see that, oh my God, yeah, 10 years ago, I wasn't doing this. You're progressing. Because you'll know that. It's a very intuitive thing. You'll just know if you are compared to way back. But don't get too caught up in the micro analysis of it. Look at it on a macro level, your surf progression. And that might even take having a friend who can watch you surf a lot, or it might take a coach or go and getting filmed at wave parks. And it might take a bit of, of insight sometimes to have a wake up call and go, whoa, actually, I'm really not throwing my arms back in a cutback and I'm not twisting in my turns. I'm just, I look like a tin man, like, you know, bolt upright made of steel when I do a turn or whatever. It might take a bit of taking action along that path, but it's not getting caught up in this micro bit because it is progressing overall. And as long as you're in, you're going to be learning something. Yeah. That's it. And I, I'm sure... And I don't know what it was, because I don't think that's how it works. It's quite mysterious, isn't it? I don't know what it was I would have learned from that session, but I know I would have taken something. And you take probably more from those surfs than you do from the ones where everything just came together. You learn the hard way. Often you take more from the mistakes, if you're awake to them, than you do from the times when it goes good. Because the going good bit is a culmination of all the hard work, tears, practice, sweat, blood, whatever else you've put into it, coming together and your body remembering all of the things that you've done to get there. That's for everybody in life, isn't it? You know, you think about even growing up as a kid and learning to walk, all the falls and the trips and all that sort of thing get you on two feet. So you just compare that to anything you're trying to improve at. But it takes relentless training, practice and hard work. And we talk about this a lot, haven't we, throughout the sort of themes of these shows that you say there are hacks that you can bring in to help that learning progress. But there is no shortcut to any of the stuff that takes effort and time to get not to perfection but just to get to improvement against yourself that's just how it is so the times that you're getting thrashed on a you know 50 mile an hour windy day at your local break and it's mushy and blown out and horrible you take that into a three to five foot summer swell with nice glassy walls that's when the good stuff comes together but you can't do that without putting the hard yards in first and that's what I love about surfing, that we have, and listen, <laughs> unless, of course, you're living in literally Bali or somewhere, yeah. most of the world, let's be really honest, it has to deal with cross-shore wind and onshore wind and changing tides and the this and the banks. And most of the world in terms of surf is beach, is beach break. Beach breaks are, are notoriously unreliable. Yeah. And so your bank one day might have been firing and allowing you to do huge snaps off the lip and re-entries and yeah. floaters and the next day... The same swells there because the bank's shifted. I mean, that's beach breaks. And it's why if you sort of were to pick a really ideal place to live as a surfer, this is an interesting one. It might not be on the reefs of somewhere like Bali. Yeah. Because you don't ever learn how to adapt. Yeah, it's on my mind, that yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. We mm. were talking about it last night while we were surfing these junky waves is that when you watched um, Kanoa and Italo surf in the final in the Olympics, because those Brazilian guys, Italian in particular, have surfed gnarly beach breaks where the conditions are constantly changing, where he's probably had to go out in windy, blown-out slop and still make the best of it. He was able to, uh, I know might have a different sort of view of this, but just in terms of where those guys have trained and grown up, you say, well, he's able to allow what is happening there and adapt to it so he doesn't lose his mind around, well, these aren't perfect conditions and oh, if it was like this, I could surf better and etc. Whereas I think Canal got so frustrated because the conditions weren't what he would probably prefer to surf. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure Italo would have preferred to surf clean, glassy waves. But it's about what are you used to? How have you adapted to it? How have you put the hard yards in? 
Have you done the graft that's required to get through that pain barrier to the other side that allows you to access that flow state? And once you're there, once you've hit that place, when it all does clean up and it's all fantastic, then yes, you can express yourself more freely. But it's interesting how that because that, in a way, the shit hit the fan on that final with the waves and the conditions, because Italo had got himself used to dealing with that shit, it didn't phase him anywhere near as much. He'd won in mind as much as body. And in fact, often maybe Kanoa lost in mind rather than ability. And so it's interesting to see how that plays out and how those times when you go in and practice when you're not quite up to it, or you probably don't have the surf of your life when you're in there, it's all in the bank of muscle memory and mindset practice and pushing yourself into uncomfortable situations in order to improve and access, as I say, that flow on the other side. So true. And it makes me think of my research I did for my book because... What really humbled me when I was researching happiness was that you think that happiness will come from getting what you want, and it doesn't. And it so doesn't, so much, to the degree where no matter what you get and achieve and have, you get used to it. So you could finally find yourself in your dream scenario, which is your own reef break. Let's call it an A-frame. Maybe you've got a point around the corner. You're surfing boardies. You've got a beautiful family around you. Fresh fruit, fresh vegetables, protein sources that are wild and organic. I mean, you could keep going with the utopia if you want. And there'll come a day. It won't happen like that in in one day, but it will come gradually where you just, oh, just wake up, take a piss, carry on with the day, a few stretches, feel a bit creaky. There's my mind. What about this? What about It's just you adapt because wherever you go, there you are. And we've said that many times. And the perfect, perfect surf we get used to. It's amazing to think. Imagine if you lived in, literally lived in Bali. Before long, you'd adapt and eventually you'd mind because the negativity bias would start, you know, crowds and tides and cuts on the reef and it's hot and mosquitoes and it's just life. And I'm not even saying negativity bias is what it is maybe in many ways. It's just life. It's just the challenges of life coming up again. And they come up to the surface every time. They, there's no life without challenges. And it's why it's so like amazing. You think, oh, Kelly Slater, what a great life. And it's so cool. And it's no better than your life. And you can imagine. It's no happier whatsoever. You can let imagination run, let it, let it run wild. Think about what it might be like to be those people. But you're not those people. You're you. You're a magical thing in your own right. And so it's, it's going back into that and embracing that as best you can. And realising, yeah, you can have ups and downs. I mean, no, nobody lives a life where there aren't a, there's no down to it, the up. It's just realising that each bit of that will pass in the same way that, like we always talk about, that's where the ocean metaphor comes back in, is that you can have great waves one day and you can have no waves the next. You know, you can have tides that work and light that works and all that. And then it doesn't. It's the ebb and flow of being alive, isn't it, that we, ha- we sit through. And that doesn't matter whether you're surfing, you know, junky shore break on the northeast coast of the UK or wherever you are in the world. Or you're sat at Kelly's Surf Ranch pressing the, oh, I'll have that setting, please, and go and surf Kelly's Ranch every day of the year. That's it. It's why it's also so cool to have travel and have Mm. novelty, because we've talked about the amazing effect novelty has on on the brain, body, real boost in wellness, happiness, all these. It's a great boost. So there's no doubting that that trip that I want to take to the Minterways one day, hopefully not before I'm too creaky and old to actually enjoy it and make the most of it, but it's that those trips those dream trips, he's keeping them alive and have dreams too. Because like when you find that balance between ambition and acceptance and you get yourself somewhere in the middle, that's I think the sweet spot for happiness. Because you got that drive, you want to go further, but you're also accepting and and knowing that it can't solve your issues. It can't solve everything, you know. Have you got anything you want to share on body? On body, I just want to sort of touch on two things. Is like, because we're talking about improvements and uh, coachability, it's been really interesting for me because obviously going through the surf journey is one thing. And, um, you know, as I say, I've, I've been learning to surf for 20 years, it feels like. And it's only when you open your mind to where you're at and what your ego thinks of your, you are as a surfer that you start to make improvements. And I'm starting to do it with swimming. Now, swimming is something that I've always been very good at and I've backed myself on and, you know, but training now with this sort of uh, younger lifeguard crew in winter training in a pool, we actually get more structured sessions. You know, so technique drills and set drills and all of this stuff to me. And there's a young guy there. He's a fantastic, fantastic level swimmer. And he is coaching us older guys, but particularly, you know, it gives me input on how to improve my technique. And it's quite something when you've swum well for a long period of time and you back yourself in any particular sort of physical activity to start taking input. 
and to be open-minded enough to take that input from wherever it comes, you know, it's been really great for me to start getting that, really. You put these things into something that you think you're already pretty good at, and it makes a difference. But there's perhaps like in, you know, older or rather a younger version of me might have not been so open to that input. And it's all this journey has helped me go, yeah, yeah, coach me. I want to be coached. And then actually just on the way here to the show, I was listening to Mo Salah, the Liverpool footballer, great Egyptian international, talking about exactly that. The fact that, you know, people ask him, do you think you're the best in the world? And, you know, are you at the pinnacle of your career? And he was like, well, no, actually. And the reason I'm getting there is I'm, I'm getting coached by, you know, and imagine coaching Mo Salah how to be a better footballer. The fact that he is a great talent was just in that almost that response to that one question that I heard him speaking on the radio about is that he's open to being coached by people who can help him get better. There's no such thing as being at the pinnacle. You're always learning. You're always being coached. And actually what I'm finding for the body then as well, because we're doing a lot of strength training on, you know, kettlebells and that sort of thing, is doing some structured swim coaching and swim training is a different type of exertion on the body for one, but it's also challenging and pushing what I probably was otherwise too comfortable at. So if I was in there and I was deciding how far and how fast to swim myself, I wouldn't get the same out of it as somebody giving me a, you know, here's your set of two and a half thousand meters over this hour and 10 minutes period. And we're going to do all of this within it. You've got to meet the targets that you're being set. So you're pushing yourself way harder and way further and way faster than you would otherwise do if you were just sort of lounging around and having a leisurely swim. So this idea of putting back in structured training, structured coaching has doing great things for my mind as well, because it puts me at, weirdly back in a flow state when it comes to swimming. It's really cool. Dude. But also I think it's, you're coachable. So we can only be coached if we are coachable, if someone can. And that takes an ability to sometimes hear the things you might not want to hear. Yeah. And I say you might not want to hear, but your ego might not want to hear. That's what it is. And I would personally love to have someone coach my surfing more and have it videoed and set and all these things. It's just one of those things about surfing. And it's part of what lures us in that it, cause it's so unstructured and so wild. It's pretty difficult to do. Mm. So if you ever get an opportunity to go to like, for example, surf simply or go and see Ombi or any of these people who do these great coaching packages, if you ever get a chance to experience them, in a one-on-one fashion where they film you and they assess what's going on and all these things, then it must be so, so much oh, fun. we'd love to do that. I had a tiny, tiny bit of golf coaching when I played a bit of golf years and years ago. And the difference it made within two sessions, it was unbelievable. But it's golf. Yeah. And comparing surf to golf, is, is, it can't be done. I mean, even you might even book your surf coaching weekend. What about the waves? Yeah. Bang. You're well, if it doesn't show up, we've got to give ourselves a, a bit of a break on that as well as surfers and go maybe one day if I get a chance. I mean, you've got to be able to go, I think, to somewhere where there's really regular pumping waves that aren't too big, aren't too small. I think surf simply have got that dialed, I think, in Costa Rica. Costa Rica gets year-round swell. It's yeah. never huge. It's never small. Yeah. It's always around the middle. Should I know, do Ombi do Ombi coaching actually go- on the Gold Coast as well? Uh, Gold Coast and Mentalways, I think they do. And the, that's it, uh, Mentalways. That check- must be amazing to do it there. Yeah. That's yeah. the dream. Yeah. That'd be really fun. Segment number four, just a bit of surf media. I've been watching a bit of Ben Gravy over in Korea. And it's just really cool because I'd never even considered surf in Korea. I love that about surfing. These really cool little pockets of the globe that you can go and and surf and be awesome one day to do a yearly trip to somewhere really wild, really rugged, really off the beaten track. And at the same time, even as I'm saying this, then you're weighing it up against... (laughs) Board shots, the Maldives yeah. or Sri Lanka or South Africa or somewhere where you know it's going to be warmer and it's going to pump. Because that's the only thing, if you're not a pro and you haven't got like days and days and weeks and weeks under the sun you, to, to be able to go and do these things. But it does look rad, Korea. Love it looks that, really cool. I Check lo- it out. Ben Gravy's vlogs in Korea. Been I great. love that he's doing that. And Dylan Graves does it as well. He goes to sort of more novelty kind of waves. But it's really great to see Ben Gravy doing this stuff where it opens your mind to what the surf magazines as well might otherwise have you think exists as the only surf destinations. The surf, like you say, everywhere you've got a body of water that gets a fetch on it and that can create a wave, you can surf. But my mind was closed to that as well. I used to to go places and think, oh, you can't surf here. And you're like, holy shit, these waves are pumping. Two of the ones that are really ginormous and so obvious are around Indian Ocean, and it's India. Yeah. And then you come round and it's China, and then you come round again, which is obviously towards Korea, etc. Because, yeah. yes, it's not the huge Pacific Atlantic fetch, and it's more typhoon-related, etc., but the swells that get pulsed up into those areas 
for three, four months of the year around now, I think it is, the typhoon season. Yeah. It's pretty constant. Taiwan yeah. apparently is phenomenal in typhoon season yeah. and you surf generally in a shorty. You get fresh sushi, really friendly people. It's like apparently about 20 degrees as a climate. It's never really sticky hot. It's never free. It's never cold either. It's a great little well, place. Japan to... has great surf. Some great yeah, surfers yeah, out yeah, of yeah. Japan. When I was in Hong Kong, actually, we were supposed to go and surf Big Wave Bay, but I had to escape because the typhoon was so bad, we, we, ah, we, we had to leave. Big Wave's in Hong Kong. Yeah. And so all of these little pockets you can find. So I'd love to do Scandinavia as well, Russia. There's some oh, stuff yeah, like that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my thing, I just slightly not uh, surf related, but I was going to say, if anybody's wanting to kind of check out surf media, YouTube stuff, actually, I've been listening to Russell Brand yeah, on YouTube. Yeah. And I'm just going to mention him quickly, just on these kind of crazy times at which we live, because he seems to be one of the few comedian, maybe this is why he comes at it from a good position, to come at some of the crazier situations and the world kind of uh, news, if you like, that we're living through today from a position of kind of balanced, anchored authenticity still with a smile on his face open to seeing every single side of the debate a bit like a sort of joe rogan kind of speak to everybody look at every single position from somebody else's point of view and then just articulate thoughts on it so he was helping me weirdly i never thought it would be russell brand that was one of the kind of best journalists out there of current age in which we live he asks some amazing questions and he explores it with nuance depth and non-judgment. So that's what I was going to say. In these times of division, being able to find the grey area and being able to accept other people's opinions and other people's actions, yeah. and as long as they don't harm yours yes. and harm, harm your life, but being able to accept that we're all different. And when you have a guy like that doing it that well, it's really worth checking out. And to stay united. Yeah. I think the one thing that we must always remember as humans is that we are collectively incredibly powerful and united in balance despite the fact we might all have different views we remain united we are strong but any division that's created is not allowing that to take hold and big that's time. what i like russell branding big time and also i watched the james one film which is not surf media but i would want to finish on a quote from there which is uh, without spoiling the film Go on. and it's a jack london quote that's brought into the film and i won't tell you at which stage it's brought into it but it's a quote from like 1916 or something and it really resonated with me in this kind of idea of living life. And it said, The proper function of man is to live, not to exist. I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. Very nice. To? To surf. Use a vibrator. To surf. Okay, and... Well, we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time, Bye. guys. <laughs>